Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. They've all gathered at the end of the small town in one little building. Everyone has been talking about when he would show up and what would happen when he did, when Jesus comes home. You've heard the story so far, right? We've heard the stories about the demon-possessed that are freed, about the blind man that can now see, about the paralyzed man that can now walk, a bleeding woman that is no longer bleeding, and a 12-year-old girl who is brought back to her family from the dead. We've heard stories about storms, epic storms, and, and the unexplainable ceasing in an instant. When's he coming back to his hometown? What's going to happen when he gets there? What type of fanfare will there be? What type of applause? What type of celebration? And Mark has reserved until chapter 6 what Jesus does when he walks into town that day. And what he's about to set loose that day among his own hometown people is nothing like they expected. And my bet today is it's probably not what you or I would expect either. Whether you're listening on our podcast or whether you're here in person, it's going to be something that probably could be shocking. And so I want to take you to that scene. I want to take you to his hometown of Nazareth. Everything's been set up. The teaching is, is well known. The miracles are well known. And now Jesus comes home. Not as a, a family visit. He's not just coming to, 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 to visit Ima or Mama. He's coming home as a rabbi. He's coming home as Messiah. He's got his 12 guys, his posse, with him. And you and I must know that this probably had been on his heart for quite a while. What does Jesus do amongst those that, that, that know him best? We're in Mark chapter 6, if you're joining us, and we, we've been marching through Mark since the uh, beginning of October. And, and if you haven't been here for all of them, that's fine. They're online. They're free. You can go back and pick up the teaching along the way. It's easy for you to catch up if you want to listen to them. So Mark chapter 6, our story starts like this. If you have your Bibles, turn to them. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Circle in your life notes there. Circle that word hometown. Remind you where he is. He goes, as I said, as a rabbi, not a visitor. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were what? There were amazed. I've said it before, but it's been a month or so since I said it. As you're going through Mark's, um, Mark's gospel, he uses this word a lot. He's a, he uses a few words a lot, like the word immediately Mark uses a lot. And he uses the word amazing. In today's scriptures, both here and where else we're going to look, you're going to see a lot. In fact, we're going to be talking a lot about being amazed. That's kind of one of the themes of the message this morning. They were amazed. They, they said, where did this man get these things? 
What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter, the builder, the technon, it says in the Greek? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. That's puzzling. It's a question we're going to have to answer. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles here except lay, a, lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, somewhere in your life notes, I want you to write next to that passage from Mark 6 here. I want you to write, read Luke 4, 14 through 30. Luke 4, 14 to 30. You know, we're going we're gonna to look at this, and we're going to look at Luke, because Luke's account tells us a lot more. We know that Dr. Luke is a, is, a, is, a, is a detail man. You know, he takes eyewitness accounts, and he writes down more words, more detail about these things. And so we haven't been doing this as we've gone through Mark. We've been going pretty much just sticking to Mark. But it's really important, I think, to go to Luke today to understand the context and understand fully what is going on here. Because Luke tells us a lot more things about what happened. So I want to go over to Luke chapter 4 because Luke's going to write, by the way, this is what Jesus said and this is what they're thinking. Because right now I'm kind of perplexed, like what's going on? You know, they're amazed at him, but yet they're offended by him. And Luke's going to tell us a whole lot more, than, and I'm going to explain to you why they got offended at the even more what Luke, what Luke tells us that he said. It's a day of teaching. He's in the synagogue. It's a Sabbath day. And according to Jewish culture, Jewish law, any place that there was 10 Jewish families, a synagogue was set up. And so you had these, these, you know, you have one temple in Jerusalem, but you have these synagogues, these teaching places where rabbis would teach. And so all across Galilee and the countryside, synagogues are there. And Jesus is back in his home church, if you will, here. He's back where he grew up. He's back where the people know him best. And he teaches, and they're amazed, and they take offense, and he's amazed, and, the, and, and, and then they take offense. And the question in my mind is, what went wrong at homecoming? This should be a joyous occasion. But Luke tells us even more that's wrong here. It says in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. As was his custom. Did you catch that? It was Jesus' custom to go to synagogue. If anybody could get a pass and skip church, it was Jesus, wasn't it? But it was his custom to be there. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll back up, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So, hometown, everyone's there. Is he going to show up or not? Jesus comes into town with his posse. They go to the synagogue. They hand him the scroll. He turns to Isaiah. 
Isaiah 61. Isaiah was written 700 years before this, and he's about to read it. Isaiah, one of the greatest, some consider him the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, a hero of the Jewish people. He, he prophesied under four different kings there in Judah. And Isaiah talks more about the one who's coming than any of the other prophets. He talks more about the Messiah. And for chapters before Isaiah 61, Isaiah pleads with the hearts of his countrymen. He says, let me show you what, this, what, what sin has done to us, what sin has bound you up in, how we've strayed away, away from the Lord, how it has broken homes, how it's broken our country, how it's broken our relationship with God. You don't have joy that you're supposed to have, Isaiah tells his people. You don't have the freedom that you're supposed to have. And judgment's going to come if we're not careful. God said so. And chapter after chapter, Isaiah is pleading with the heart of his people. He says, you keep making choices that seem right to you, but look where it's leading you every single time. He's saying, stop this cycle. And in Isaiah 61, everything changes. Isaiah says, let me tell you. He's given some, some inklings. You know, we're, we're familiar with some of the prophets. You know, the virgin shall conceive, you know, wonderful counselor. All that stuff comes earlier in Isaiah. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. That comes earlier. But here in, in, verse, in Isaiah chapter 61, he says, let me tell you about the one who will come who will free the oppressed, who will give sight, who will make the lame to walk, who will release prisoners, not just physically, but spiritually. Whatever has broken you down, Isaiah says, whatever has bound you, whatever has robbed you, whatever has caused you to fail to see, we have one coming, the Messiah, the Son of God, one day, and he will free us from all of that. So when Jesus comes to his own hometown, they hand him Isaiah, and that's where he goes, and he reads it. Now, I know what comes next may be over our heads because we're not good Jewish people coming to synagogue in the first century, so we're going to kind of explain and try to get the cultural context and look at it. Because I promise you, what Jesus says next to them, every hair on the back of their neck is going to be standing up, especially when he says this. He sits down, all the eyes are glued on him, and this is what he says. It says, and he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, they understood what he, what he, what he was saying. Are you kidding me? He's saying, it's me. It's me. I'm the Messiah. Boom. Mic drop. You're the Messiah? Really? And for those of you that have been following our weekly custom, um, the last few weeks what we've been doing, we've seen this demoniac that was, that was um, delivered to the legion of demons. We, we, we've seen a woman who's oppressed by the laws of Judaism, who's healed of the issue of blood for, that she's been suffering for, for, for many years, for 12 years. We've seen the chains of death come off of the, the young girl that had died, and she's restored back to her family. The paralyzed now walk. This is what he's been all about. All spoke well of him, and they were amazed. There's that word again. It's not Mark, but Luke uses it too. Just Mark uses it a lot more. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But they're saying, wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown 
what we heard that you did in Capernaum, Capernaum was up the road. It was like, you know, like La Quinta or Indio. They said, we want to see the miracles. We want to see the stuff. And Jesus continues and he says in verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then what he says next, just watch what it does to him. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right away to the crowd, went on his way. You know, I, I would have loved to have observed that. You know, they take Jesus up to the cliff and just kind of walks to the crowd, walks away. That's, that's cool. But who ruined homecoming? You know, you had a pretty good story going. He's saying everything we wanted to hear him say. I'm here to set you free. Whatever's binding you, it's going to be released. Whatever you can't see right now, I'm, I'm going to give you insight into. This is what I've been doing. And next thing you know, they're running him out of town. They're taking him to a cliff, and they're wanting to throw him off. You know, and he walks, turns around and walks away through the angry mob. What went wrong? Well, let's look at our life notes. I want to run you through a huge difference here between belief and faith, and it will help us to understand what did go wrong. In the Greek, in the Bible, the, the New Testament's originally written in, in, in Koine, what we call Koine Greek. The, the words belief and faith are synonymous. The same word, pistos, pisteo, are translated into belief and faith for us. But our English words don't necessarily have the same meaning, carry the same weight as the Greek. And we're going to be pointing that out uh, this morning. You know, belief in the, great, in the Greek, it, it means something different than oftentimes we think it means today. We translate a belief, and yet it's, it's, it's far more, much more. And I want to walk through what happened in his hometown to ensure that, that, that those of us here at Sky Valley who know Jesus best, we don't make the, the, the mistake of wanting to take him to a cliff and throw him off, okay? So you see, the crowd, the crowd at home, they knew Jesus' abilities, you know, back in our text in Mark chapter 6, it's that they say, where did this man get these things, they ask? We've heard about all the stories, and now we see what he's doing. But they knew, they, some were saying, hey, this guy, this guy was on my kid's Little League team. You know, this guy built our, our table. Isn't he, the, isn't he the carpenter? And they're wondering, what switch got flipped? Where did you get these abilities? And they're amazed, and more specifically, they spell it out. Not just where do you get these things, but they ask, Where's this wisdom? What is this wisdom that has been given to you that you even do miracles? You see, the crowd at home knew Jesus' wisdom. They'd heard about his teaching. They know about his abilities. They know this wisdom. And, and thirdly, they know the miracles here. And they've heard what he's been doing. But finally, they also knew his story. Now, these aren't people with a lot of questions about who he is and where he's from. He's from here. He's a hometown boy. You know, we know him, we know his brothers, we know his sisters, we know his mama. And so when they ask these questions, these are rhetorical questions. We, we know him, but yet they took offense at him. 
Now Luke says, isn't this Joseph's son? Luke is a bit more charitable there, saying this is Joseph's son. The term in Mark is actually, there's a, there's a, there's a slander there. There's a, there's a negative there that we may not catch uh, because of the, the culture and the context. In first century Hebrew culture, and it was a patriarchal culture, and you're constantly known by who you are the son of. And even when a, a woman was a widow, the boys were still known of whose son they were. You'd still say, like, like Simon. Some, some of you may know Simon. You'll see in some of your old King James, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of, like the Barnabas, uh, my dog's name. Um, Barnabas means son of encouragement, a guy, one of Paul's compatriots in, in the book of Acts. You know, so any time you see Bar, it's, it's, it's son of. And for women, or the daughter is Bat, B-A-T, if you're interested. That's, why, that's where we get bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah. When a Jewish boy is bar mitzvah, he becomes a son of the law, a son of the Torah. Women, if they go through it in your in less conservative synagogues, it's bat mitzvah. You didn't ask for that. That's free. That's, a, that's no extra charge. <laughs> and they're saying, hey, didn't you grow up here? Aren't you just a tradesman? Aren't, aren't you someone that, that worked here doing manual labor? In, but then they say, wait, we know you're, you know you're Mary's boy, but do we really even know who your father is? That's what they're saying. We know you're Mary's son, but there's this, there's this whole manger deal we heard about where, you know, Joseph and Mary left and they went down to Bethlehem for a census. They come back two years later with a baby boy. Yeah, okay, that's, that's convenient. We know your story. And it tells us, and the crowd at home was offended by what Jesus demanded. And so this is why I went back and, and read Luke, because Jesus starts talking about some crazy stories that may seem irrelevant today. You know, he says, hey, wasn't there in the time of Elisha, there wasn't, wasn't there a Zarephath woman? I'm going to tell you why this was why this was so important, why this had the impact that it had on him. See, Zareph, people from Zarephath were Gentiles. They were demon worshipers. When it says they were from Sidon, this is the area up towards like where Beirut is today, up towards the north, above Israel. And, and, and he says, weren't there a lot of widows in Israel? But he points out, you know, that, that God sent the prophet up to this pagan worshiper. And he says, weren't there a lot of lepers in Israel? But then he talks about this guy named Naaman. Uh, Naaman's a Syrian. He's from Syria, still where Syria is today. Naaman was a Syrian. And we're like, what in the world? Why is the crowd taking him out to throw him off the cliff? And we need to understand the context of the Jewish culture there to understand what is going on. He's taken them back to a couple stories in First and Second Kings. And Jesus is retelling the account of, of, hey, let me tell you how God worked at a time when there were a lot of people in need in Israel. But do you remember? Do you remember who God healed? And they would have known these stories because, as was their custom, they went to synagogue. They studied the, 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 they studied the scriptures. You have a woman in Zarephath, a poor, starving, demon-worshipping widow. He says, remember that? Remember Elijah comes to her? She's making her final meal, a last cake for her and her son, because for three years there's been a famine, there's been no, no rain, and she's got just enough to make one more cake there, and she and her son are going to eat it, then they're going to lay down and die? Remember Elijah went to her and said, hey, why don't you make that for me instead? That's kind of bold, isn't it? You know, you're going to die anyway. You know, what's, what's one more cake? But she knew who he was. She knew that he was a prophet in Israel, even though she was a pagan. 
She knew that he was a man of God. She knew the God that he was serving and had enough faith in that God to obey the words of Elijah, and she gave him the cake after she made it. The Bible says then that throughout the entire remainder of the famine, every day she went to get oil. And every day, even though the previous day she'd used it all, there was more oil in her flask. It says that every day when she went to get the flour out of her, out of her flour tin there, every day there was flour, even though the previous day she used the rest of it up. It was refilled. Well, there were a lot of widows in Israel that could have been helped like that, but do you know who God picked? That poor demon-worshiping woman from a culture who obeyed God's word. And then he says, oh, Naaman. Let me tell you about Naaman. Let me remind you. Remember Naaman? Naaman was an oppressive guy from Syria. He was, a, he was an army commander. He was a serious guy up there. He kidnapped Jewish girls, one of which we know he took back to, back to his, his hometown and, and made her a slave. And yet when Naaman had leprosy, he heard about this prophet down in Israel. And he went to that prophet who represented Yahweh, the God of the Jews, and he sought favor. And he said, how can I be healed? I need Yahweh's help. And so he was told to go dip in the Jordan River. And so he, he went down and dipped himself in the, in, the, in the muddy Jordan. He humbles himself, and he obeys the word of God, and he gets healed. So you see, what Jesus is saying in his hometown to Jewish ears and understanding, and they're clearly getting it. They're getting this, this kind of, you know, passive message there. You don't get any pass. You don't get any hometown advantage just because I'm from here. You don't get a pass because you know me. You know, you're going to ask me to do miracles here, just like I've done miracles out there, and you think you have an inside track. But hometown doesn't matter. You see, Jesus knows their lack of faith. He knows that they're saying stories about him. He knows that they're impressed with what he has done, but he also knows that they're not going to put stock in who he is. We're amazed at all the stuff you've done, but we know who you are. You're the carpenter. You're the son of Mary. Your brothers, your sisters are here. They're still living in our town. And they took offense at him. And what does he do? He throws in their face. He says, you know who God uses? It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter who you know. It's people that obey God's word. That's who God uses. And then he gives them two examples of what they consider foreign dogs in their mind. And they take him to the city hill, and things go wrong at homecoming. I love this last phrase going back to Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. This last phrase, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He left home. You know, that first verse 5, I've, I've, I've mulled that verse over in my mind for years. The fact that the Son of God, who was going around doing all these miracles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, could not do much there in his hometown of Nazareth. And it's tied to their lack of faith. Now, you know, there's only two places in the Bible where it says that Jesus is amazed at things. It doesn't say that he's amazed at architecture. It doesn't say that he's amazed by, by great works of art or feats done by human hands or imagination or by engineering. 
You know what amazes, amazes Jesus two times in the Bible? The first is right here. He's amazed at people's lack of faith. He's amazed that they seem to know him, but there's no faith in him. And it says again, he could not do any miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You know all about me, but you haven't put your faith in me. You know all about me. You've summed me up, but you still doubt me. You're, you're still not wanting to do what I say, and, and now you take offense at me. And right there on your life notes, that, the, that word amazed in verse 6, I want you to write out next to that Luke 7, 9. Write Luke 7, 9. And you can read Luke chapter 7 on your own later. I'm just going to tell you, give you a quick synopsis here of what happens in Luke chapter 7, but go back and read it later. It's an entire chapter there about this Roman centurion who comes to the Jewish leaders and he says, I have a servant of mine that I love, and as I, I cherish this servant, and they're, they're deathly ill. Can you ask Jesus to heal my servant? The Jewish leaders, uh, they go to Jesus, and they say, look, he's a Roman, he's a centurion, but this guy treats us pretty well. He's not like all those other centurions. He loves our nations. He even built a synagogue for us. He's an amazing man. He's a Roman centurion. He's incredibly kind. But he's got a, he's got a servant who's, who's deathly ill. He loves this person. Would, would, you, would you heal him for the centurion? Could you do this for us? And Jesus says, well, let's go. And he heads for the centurion's house. And, and some of them run ahead and say, hey, dude's coming to your house. And the centurion's like, what? He's coming here? Wait a minute, no, no, tell him he doesn't have to come here. I, you know, I don't deserve to see him. You know, I, I, I didn't go to him on my own before because I don't deserve to be in his presence. I'm a man under authority. I understand giving orders and things like that. I mean, I know he has the power to heal, and all he has to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. And so the people will run back, and, and they tell Jesus this, and Jesus heals the man. And it tells us that Jesus was amazed at the faith of this man. This centurion, this Roman, probably a pagan. And, he, and Jesus said this. He said, nowhere in Israel, when he says in Israel, he's saying, among all the Jews, I haven't seen a faith like this. You know what amazes Jesus? What people do or don't do with the power of his word, what they do in faith, that's what amazes Jesus question you might want to consider is, you know, how amazed is Jesus with you? Not what you've made, not what you've built, not what you've done, not what's hanging on your wall or what's in your bank account, but what you've done with his word. That's what amazes Jesus. He's amazed at their, their lack of faith here in his hometown and, and believing who he is and who he said he was and, and what he's going to do. He's amazed at the Roman centurion who puts his faith simply in Jesus' word. Just say the word and your servant will be healed. That's what amazes Jesus. You see, as we're breaking this down, we separate faith and belief. And here's what I want you to write down clearly. We've been, we've been, uh, there's been some breadcrumbs uh, along the way over the last two or three weeks, and that's been intentional, these breadcrumbs about faith that I've been laying in, in the messages. And I want you to write this down. There's a huge difference between a Christ follower and a Christ believer. Huge difference between a Christ follower and a Christ believer. Jesus never walked around town saying, believe me, believe me, believe me, believe me. What he did walk around saying was follow me, follow me, 
follow me, follow me, follow me. He did it 32 times. said, follow me. If you love me, you're going to obey me. In your life notes, I've listed Matthew 7. And I uh, don't want you to worry about taking a lot of notes here on it, but you can go back later. And I realize I'm giving you a lot of homework assignments this week. But Matthew 7, starting at verse 13, where Jesus tries to make this clear to a crowd, the difference between you believing in Jesus and truly having faith in Jesus. In verse 13, he makes it clear to the crowd, and, and, and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter into it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. First off, he goes, guys, look, this is a pretty narrow definition. This is probably smaller than what you think. This, this whole idea that we're all children of God, all of us go to heaven, there, there's a lot of ways to get to heaven just as so long as you, you know, find your path, whatever way. He says, no, really, it's kind of tiny. It's kind of narrow. You know, there's, there, there's a wide road out there that people are on. And they're believing in that wide road, but he's saying, that ain't it. He's saying, the road is narrow. And this is one of the most, one of the most challenging scriptures, one of the most difficult passages in scripture, I believe. We want to teach that being good is good enough. Just follow your heart. But the Bible teaches that none of us are good. You know, we want to teach, um, we, we say, well, just don't be Hitler. As if Hitler's the only person in hell. Just as long as you're not Hitler, you know, we, we want to set him up as, as, as the, the nemesis. But I can't get around a God and a, and a son of God who said, Walt, I came and died on the cross, even though I didn't want to. Do you think it was for nothing and everybody's going to end up in heaven? You think that solitary act that divided human history into B.C. and A.D. doesn't mean that there was a purpose to all that? There is a faith a smaller road than you may think. There's a wider one that leads to destruction. And he goes, I got to tell you, that's the truth. So he continues in verse 15. He says, watch out for the false prophets. And I'll go and tell you, there's false prophets in our churches that will talk, that will teach this, that all dogs go to heaven. And I'm not talking about pets, okay? I'm trying to be funny. You know, you know, this universalism that oh, everybody's a, a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Why did Jesus go to the cross then? It makes no sense, absolutely no sense. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Kind of makes sense when the Son of God talks like that, doesn't it? He goes, I want you to examine life. It's easy for someone to call themselves something. It's easy for all of us to put on a title. He goes, I want you to look at the fruit that comes from it. I want you to look at the lifestyle that's under the title that you claim. That'll tell you what kind of tree you are. He continues in, in verse uh, 19 there. He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who? 
He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name, didn't we drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, did you see that at the end of verse 21? It's right in the midst of a good story that he's doing, a, 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 a kind of a parable-type thing. And he gave him the answer. He said, only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Just because you pray to God, just because you say, Lord, Lord, just because you sing songs, and no matter how good of songs they are, Bruce, just because you come to chapel or church, just because you're doing all that, it doesn't mean you're in. And many people are going to say, oh, but Lord, Lord, I did all this stuff. He says, look at your fruit. Look at your lifestyle. Are you obeying me? What are you doing my word? What are you doing what I told you to do? You know who was in? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Remember what amazes Jesus? What we do or don't do with his word. So what's the answer to faith? Those who do the will, the word of my Father in heaven. That's what's showing you what's really, who really has the claim to the title. And he goes on. He says, okay, well, let, me, let me give you a story. He likes stories. He likes telling stories. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Who doesn't want to be wise? A fool, okay. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against his house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were what? amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There's a huge difference between a Christ follower and a Christ believer. He said there's a lot of people who believe. There's a lot of people who go, oh, I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he rose again. I know he's the son of God. I know he came to earth. That's intellectual knowledge. I'm looking for those that will not only say, I believe he's Lord, I believe he's died, but those, those that have a, a lifestyle of lordship, they have fruit that says, hey, my belief isn't some box I checked on the census form. He goes, many are going to come to me and go, well, but you're the box I checked. You know, I checked Jesus follower. I checked Christian. I was born in the United States. I'm a Christian. I thought you were Lord. He goes, I know, I know, I know. You even said, Lord, Lord, I heard you when you, when you said these words. You said one time, dear Lord, help me today. I remember, remember when you said that, but look at your life. I didn't own a part of you. It's those that do the will of God. That's what showed me that you really had faith, that I was Lord. You see, belief is what we know. Faith is what we live. Fill that in on your life notes. Belief, belief is what we know. Faith is how we live. Faith is simply trusting God enough to do what he says. You trust God enough to do what he says. Do you know that Jesus is Lord? Or do you put your faith in the fact that Jesus is Lord? One is head knowledge. Oh, yeah, I believe he's Lord. The other one goes, look at my life. Dang it. 
I've got I've to change it. I've got to do what he says. It's signing over the pink slip of your life. Someone else owns you. You know, you can drive someone else's car, but you don't own the car until you have that pink slip in hand. The Lord wants the pink slip of your life. You see, none of the stuff that we have is ours. It's his. You see, simply, it's impossible to be a Christian without experiencing a life change. He says, you'll be known by your fruit. You'll be able to know by the fruit. It wasn't, it wasn't just someone told you something to message and said, hey, that sounds pretty good. That makes sense to me. And, and, you know, that's a mental assent. That's a nod to God. I put many notes underneath separating faith and belief there, many scripture verses, because I know that this is something that we're going to struggle with. So please take that out sometime this week and maybe over the course of the week and read those on your own. One of them is, is James chapter 2. Um, you're probably, most of you are probably familiar with that passage. James says, look, you want to show me? You say you've got faith, by, but you don't have any fruit. I'm going to show you my faith by my fruit. You believe there's one God, James says? That's great. Even demons believe that, and they shudder. And there's people in our churches get offended. Well, wait a minute, you're saying I have demon faith. God's Word's saying it, not me. It's much more than, than what we know. It's impossible to be a Christian without experiencing a life change, a change that said, I've given over my life, my all, my will. I've given it over to Christ. He tells the crowd, if anyone wants to come after me, you can, but you have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross and follow me. You're going to have to end your will to your life, and you're going to have to take your will and align it with mine. How do you know the mind of Christ? How do you know God's will? Through looking at his word and through prayer. There's, there's no other way. And you can't just get it sitting here in chapel or watching some TV preacher once or twice a week. It needs to be a... Do you, any of you only eat once or twice a week? I know I don't, and you can say, yeah, we can tell. Okay? We need to constantly be feeding on God's Word and constantly be fellowshipping with God's Spirit. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand here that a life of good works doesn't save you. A life of good works shows your faith. It does not earn your faith. My life doesn't earn my faith. My life shows that I have faith. That's what James is saying. My life is under his lordship, and there's, there's got to be a change. For you see, lordship is a complete surrender of our will to God's will. He's saying, look, if you don't obey, obviously you don't believe I'm Lord. You, can't, you can get rid of your will, or you can ignore Jesus. It's denying my will, my wants, my desires, and aligning my will with his. And please understand, I'm not talking about perfection. We're trying to strive for perfection, but none of us, none of us have ever attained it. I've never, I haven't had a perfect day in my life where I haven't, haven't failed the Lord. I haven't gone astray. And if you're honest, you haven't either. It's not about perfection. I haven't talked about that here, except unless you understand it's his perfection, not ours. Our righteousness, which we have, we're clothed. His righteousness is imputed to us. The righteousness that we have from Christ. He came home to people that said this. They say, we know you. We know all about you. We know your abilities, your wisdom, your miracles. We know your story. We got you. He goes, all righty. I'm going to shake that up. Let me tell you what God is really looking for. A poor widow from an idol-worshiping country that said, I'll follow your word. I'll follow your word. 
And that's where God worked. A foreign commander who kidnapped Jewish girls and put them to work as slaves, who came to a point in his life and said, I'll do what God says. That's where God worked. A Roman centurion who says, it's your word. I put my faith in that. That's where God worked. Notice I haven't given you one Jewish example. That's where God worked. And they said, let's get him and kill him. We're in because of who we are and what we know. And he goes, no, you're not. It's he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Lordship is a complete surrender of our will to his will. Jesus, on his last night in the garden, three times he goes back to the Father. I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to die on the cross. But Father, it's not my will, is it? It's yours. That was surrender. What a story. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mole and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day!